0: Hello and welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, the official podcast of Ingenious Prep and your go-to resource for expert admissions strategy. My name is Noelle and each episode, I'll bring you behind the scenes knowledge from former admissions officers about their firsthand experiences reviewing applications. Our strategies have helped countless students gain acceptance to top universities, and we're here to help your student gain that competitive edge and do the same. If you would like to set up a complimentary strategy call, simply follow the link in our episode description, and our expert team of enrollment counselors will work with you to create a personalized plan for admission into your student's dream school. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for another exciting episode. Today, I sat down with Jake, who is our director of test prep, and we discussed all things digital SAT everything that's changing, strategies on how to prepare, and we even let you into some of our secrets that get our students into that top 1% score percentile. We truly have so much to cover today. So without further ado, let's jump right into our interview with Jake. Hi, Jake. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well, and I'm happy to be here.
0: I'm really excited. I know we have a ton to talk about with the new digital SAT, but Before we start, can you briefly introduce yourself, share a little bit about your background with our listeners?
1: I'm the director of Ingenious Test Prep. I've been doing test prep for quite a while now. I originally started tutoring in 2007, and then I was mainly doing subject tutoring, but then really started to get deeper into test prep tutoring in 2012 and have worked with numerous students across the SAT, ACT, even like GRE and other standardized tests and have really kind of seen the full gamut of how students can succeed in working with test questions are thrown at them.
0: Perfect. So in your opinion, why do you think the SAT is changing to a digital format?
1: In some ways, question types and the structure of things is a little bit more accessible in the sense that a shorter test that's using more dynamic logic through its weighted scoring methods can help students to get an assessment of their readiness, their level of skill in taking these tests much quicker. So I think a big part of it is like it gives them the advantage to cut the test a whole hour shorter.
0: And going off that, what are the biggest changes that are happening to the SAT as a whole?
1: The biggest changes come in the reading section being combined with the writing section now. The math sections are slightly different. Obviously, you get a calculator the whole time. But the question typology isn't like too, too different. The biggest change, I think, is around the reading and writing sections being combined and also the fact that the test is now a modular adaptive test.
0: And can you explain the modular adaptive testing? I actually saw in one of your recent webinars that you had a bullet in there that said, students' performance in the exploratory module determines whether they'll be routed to an easier or harder section. And that really piqued my interest. What does that really mean?
1: So I'll clarify just one misconception that some people have had around the modular adaptive testing. That's like where the test changes after every question in your response to that question. And it'll adapt based on your question. That's not what's happening with the digital SAT. It's a modular adaptive test. So that means that you're going to take a full module. You can move backwards and forwards in that module, take the test out of order, do whatever you need to do. And then your module is scored by the scoring software and then routed to either a harder or easier version of the test based on how well you did in that first module. I call it the exploratory module. I just came up with that because I was like, it's exploring your skills, but you won't hear that in other places. So just so you know, that's not the official name. You can just think of it as module one being, okay, this is where the test decides, do I go to the easier or the harder module? And there's some very sophisticated math behind how they do that. But students who are looking to score as high as possible you need to make your way to that harder module and you need to really pay attention to that first module and getting as many questions as you can right. I like to tell my students like, see if you can take it twice.
0: Okay, so if I were to put myself in a student's shoes per se, I feel like it would almost be strategic to want to get to the easier version of the test and try to score as high as I can in the easier module. But is that thinking correct? Or is there a ceiling or a cap to a student's score if they do that?
1: As somebody who is a student who wants their life easier, I could see how that might appeal to some people. However, when you do that, so if you get routed to that easier module, the weighting of the questions is scored dynamically. So the questions in that module are scored dynamically. So that means that even getting all the questions right from that easier module, you're probably not going to score nearly as high as if you just got a couple of questions right in the harder module because those harder module questions are weighted differently and they yield a higher score. There is essentially what I like to call a score ceiling. So if you got routed to the easy module and you got everything right, there's a good chance that you're not going to make it over 600 with 100% accuracy in that second module.
0: And what do you think the purpose of doing that is? Like, I'm so curious and fascinated by the change, honestly.
1: I think, The purpose is to flesh out what a student knows at the lower level. So that easier module is going to explore. Does the student have a lot of these more base capabilities? Because they already have missed some of the questions that would indicate whether or not they have higher level capabilities. So on the easier module we're testing, do these students know this content well? And so for the harder module though, if you do really well, in that exploratory module Then it's going to say, okay, well, you know all these things. Let's take it to the next level. What do you know at that level? And that's probably the best way to think about it.
0: Okay, I have a ton of questions on strategy, but before we get really granular into all of that, can you share with us the biggest changes to the reading writing section?
1: Yeah. So if we really dig into the reading writing section, it has combined the reading style questions and the writing style questions. They look very different than they used to because. What they used to look like was basically these long paragraphs of text that would have around about 10 questions related to that text. And If you didn't understand it well, have a disadvantage in those 10 questions. Now, the way that it works with the current test is each question has its own small, unrelated paragraph. They don't have this cumulative effect of building on each other. Each question is its own problem to solve. And so that's how reading and writing have changed, and then the fact that the the reading and writing sections, they used to be like, okay, here's reading and you have pattern within those questions. And then you had the writing section and then there's a pattern to those questions. Now together the test has its own set of patterns so it's something to be aware of because there are easier and harder questions scattered throughout the test but they kind of happen in this repeatable pattern from what i've seen in taking the tests in the test room as well as the practice setting and what you can see is that you know on the front end they're usually starting out with vocabulary questions then they have a lot more critical thinking questions things about inference and drawing conclusions in the center of the test and then towards the end you have What are really easy points and in some ways, if you don't know that you can miss out on those points because maybe you spent all your time doing those middle questions and then you're now out of time and rushing through the end of the test, which is actually really easy and other tests are structured a different way. This is something to know that's really important to making sure you invest your time wisely.
0: Wow, that is so fascinating because I remember when I was preparing for the SAT in high school, I do remember the reading passages being so difficult because it felt like they gave us the most bizarre, archaic passages. And I remember when I was enrolled in SAT test prep, we were taught very specific tips and tricks to almost decode these SAT passages because as you said, so many points are writing on that. One passage and whether we were able to successfully understand what was being given to us. So, with the new changes to the reading writing section, are there any new tips and tricks you're sharing with your students now?
1: Definitely acknowledge that pattern that I just said as far as the reading and writing and know that it's there and look to take advantage of it. But then, on the other side of things, so much more of the tests really leans into vocabulary and a little bit of a higher level of reading. This is not necessarily a test strategy on the test, but In general, to be better at taking the test, I often recommend that students spend a lot of time doing outside reading on, you know, subjects that they find interesting or things that are research-based or emerging knowledge that might have higher level of vocabulary, but then also using an e-reader because the benefit of using an e-reader is you don't have to go pick up a dictionary. You can just like double tap and say, oh, what is that word? What is its etymology? What cultural context does it come from? All that kind of knowledge that you might accumulate in doing that over time will make you a better reader because like they do use a little bit of a higher level vocab and they skew in the direction of humanities, ethnography, anthropology. It's less of that old timey, archaic literature and there's more modern takes on things.
0: Perfect. And now shifting gears to the math section, can you share with us some of the biggest changes here that students should be aware of?
1: So with the math section, there used to be a reliable pattern of difficulty. I know that the easy questions come first and then towards the end, there will be harder questions. On the new version of the test, that's not really a hard and fast rule. It seems more the case that there are hard questions mixed in the middle of the tests, even sometimes early on. So you kind of need to be cognizant of what is the difficulty of this question. And am I ready to tackle that right now? And if the answer is no, then you can set that aside and move forward into question types that are maybe easier for you to solve. That's just something to be aware of. Cause like that pattern that maybe other students knew about from the paper based math sections doesn't exist in the same way anymore. And then now there's calculator available to students on both sections of the test. That calculator is Desmos. You can get that same version of the calculator. If you Google Desmos for the digital SAT, there's the exact version that is used in the test calculator that you can get used to in your own practices. There's so much in Desmos calculator in terms of like functionality. It's really important for students to understand the tools that they have available because if you don't understand that and you have this tool available to you on the test, you're really making life much more difficult on yourself than it has to be because the test, in my opinion, the level of difficulty and critical thinking has actually gone up on the math section. The scoring is a little bit different though. Like you can actually miss a little bit more on a harder version of the test and still do pretty well.
0: And what areas or types of math are you really seeing very prevalent in the math section.
1: So much algebra and working more on linear equations, parabolas, quadratics. Quadratics have gotten harder in in this uh, version of the test. So understanding how to work with linear systems, how to work with linear systems and quadratic functions, understanding function behavior, what those things look like on a graph. Again, you do have a graphing calculator that's really sophisticated. So a lot of the questions, if you know how to graph them, they're actually a lot easier. But you, you need to be able to interpret the graph too. So much of the test has leaned in the direction of linear functions and functions that can be graphed using a graphing calculator and interpreting like how do we find a solution between where this line intersects with the parabola or some other function. So that's different than it has been because it, there's just even more of a focus there. I will say that they've eased off the number of statistics questions that they give you. Which in my personal opinion is a little bit disappointing or, you know, as somebody who wants students to succeed, because like the statistics questions that they used to give you before were really just layup questions. If you just know the basics of statistics and could figure out, oh, okay. These questions are easier. So they reduce those still have to know the same amount of content. So it can't be like, oh, there's less statistics questions. So I don't really have to focus on statistics. You need to know the same amount of knowledge that you needed to know before but you just get rewarded less for it. So that's a little unfortunate. And then definitely understanding triangles and circles and like how to work with logical geometry puzzles, all that has still been a part of what the SAT is testing. I do think there's a slight increase there. And yeah, geometry is always going to be important.
0: And is your strategy different for helping students prepare for the math section as compared to the old SAT?
1: Actually, the questions from the old tests really provide a lot of great practice for the digital test because there's not too much different between the tests. Think practicing reading and writing sections from the digital SAT and in that format is like super important. And that's how you're going to get the best practice. But for the math section, you can use the old SATs to build your base in terms of like your knowledge of general concepts that are being tested and getting more comfortable with that question style. But you do still want to spend some time on digital SAT-specific style questions. In my opinion, they're slightly harder and they ask slightly different questions. But once you are familiar with the old SAT-style questions, you can still bridge the gap and connect the dots.
0: And now for all students going into their first digital SAT, what is your best advice for them?
1: If they were diligent in their prep for the paper-based test, that has prepared them pretty well for the digital test. There's of course some things to learn and transition between the tests. So it's gonna take a little bit of time. And my recommendation for getting ready ahead of any test is 12 weeks ahead of your official test date is a really great starting place. If you don't have that kind of time, eight to six weeks can get you where you want to go. It just depends on the score you're trying to get and like where you're currently at.
0: And I'm curious, what do you foresee being the biggest obstacle for students going into this new testing format?
1: I think the main problem centers around it being different, right? When you have gotten used to something and got into a habit of working a certain way, like that transition is going to take time. So taking the time to get used to the new format is something that's required. And I wouldn't say to anyone who's prepared for the paper-based version of the test and they've worked really hard and then they think, well, I'll just take a couple of tests, so the week before or two weeks before, and it'll all be fine. That's setting yourself up for potential problems. but giving yourself that time that it takes to, you know, work with a new format and then also enjoy the fact that it's an hour shorter.
0: Oh, and another big change that came to mind, the digital SATs dropped the essay portion of the test, which is so exciting for students.
1: The ACT is the only standardized test right now that's retaining the essay as an optional component. But my whole opinion to everyone who's taking the test is don't add that extra level of difficulty to your plate of things to do because Really, there's not a lot of weight that's being placed on that particular area of the test for admissions officers and when looking at these applications.
0: And you mentioned the ACT, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the ACT is also going digital as well, correct?
1: Yes, they are rolling out a new digital format. That's the case for international administrations of the test. It's all going to be digital for the administration of the tests in the US. Do you think that the move to go? in the direction of the test being more of a digital test just everywhere. I think that is the trend that we're seeing. But for the ACT, as it stands now, there really hasn't been much done to the test. It is right now. It's like literally the difference is going from taking it on paper to taking it on a computer. I think the fact that they haven't changed the test to adapt to the new format in the way that the digital SAT has you know, changed puts students at a disadvantage because it was way nicer to take the ACT the way that it was structured on paper because there's a lot to it. You would feel a lot more comfortable being able to annotate or work with paper. But yeah, it is what it is, I guess.
0: And I know a big piece of advice that you frequently give students is to take a diagnostic at first to figure out whether they want to take the ACT or SAT. But with the recent changes, do you feel differently about that? Like, do you perhaps favor the digital SAT and try to encourage students to go that route?
1: I think it's still the case for taking a diagnostic to see where you are. Cause, like, I think just making decisions with data in hand to support that decision is going to be better for everyone. And as far as the direction that I lean, though, I do kind of lean in the direction of the digital SAT. Cause from a test prep perspective, it's, full hour shorter, like just thinking of not having to concentrate for a full hour in addition to just having a full hour shorter is a major difference from a testing perspective because like does become a question of mental endurance once you get past an hour really, right? Like most people can take an hour long test, but like a three hour long test versus a two hour long test. I think that there's a major difference in the amount of mental stamina required.
0: Perfect. And now you're the director of Ingenious Test Prep. And I know we're really, really proud to say that our team is made up of tutors who have all scored within the top 1% and can also help students do the same. What is your secret? Can you share with our listeners what we're doing differently that's very clearly working?
1: Yeah, definitely. What makes our test prep different is that it is really focused on the student just looking at what is this particular individual need. Cause like this speaks to the customization of what we do. Everything that we do is focused on, okay, we're not going to just go through a curriculum because that's what Jake trained me on. Jake says, I started at module one and we go to module 10 and that's just how we do it. Instead we say, okay, well the student is doing really well in all these other areas, but let's focus on those areas where they're maybe struggling and let's make sure that they master that material and make sure that they're not missing those same question types from test to test. Because a lot of the typical class based approach or just one size fits all is like, okay, we start at the beginning, it has foundational principles, and then we move towards the end. And if you keep up and you get it, it's great. But for a lot of ingenious families, I feel like so many of their students are really high performing. That's in a lot of ways a major waste of time, right? You have other things that you can be working on and you can get results faster and just feel better about the whole process. If you're like, okay, I need help here, let's focus on that. And then I just keep going up the skill ladder. And the goal is to master things lower on the skill level and then move towards the harder topics that occur less frequently. But first we start, where is the student, where they're at? How do we build them to that level and do it based on where the student starts and what they need help with, as opposed to just running them through a curriculum that is the same for every student.
0: And can you walk us through your methodology a little bit further or. Maybe if you have an example of a student you've worked with in the past that you can maybe share with us.
1: So, generally, we do that diagnostic to understand what is the problem in front of us? What does the student need to learn in order to make it to the next score level? And usually, you know, students who are scoring around a 1200. To me, that's a signal that actually this person can pretty much given enough time, go the distance and make it really high up on the score chart. If they're below 1200, we have a lot of work to do because there's an indication that they're lacking in certain fundamentals to score well on the test. And so that's going to be a longer period of prep, but with the students that score 1200 and above, I know that, okay, well, we just have a few core areas that we need to work on to make them more familiar with the question types, know what to do, be able to name things. So really we focus on accuracy and a lot of it is also being able to identify like what question type is this and what problem solving tools do I pull out when that question type comes along. So we build that and it's a little bit slow going, not going to lie at first because we're learning the accuracy and the way to handle question types as they come up. But then once we start to build that, we work towards speed, right? Because all the accuracy in the world is not going to help if you can't finish the test. We start with accuracy, work towards speed, and then we really work towards practicing in a test setting or in a test-like setting. So we'll do practice testing leading up to their official test date and work on tuning what's going well, what's needing a little bit more work and doing that through iterative practice. That's the general approach. For a student that comes to mind, this student was happy with their score. They ended up getting a 14, 1480, 1490. It wasn't so much the score, because like, I know a lot of families are looking for scores 1,500 plus, but it wasn't so much the score that he ended at, but it was actually the improvement. You know, he started off basically at a 1,200, and we only had four weeks to prepare. Being able to do over 200 plus points improvement in that short period of time. And he picked up on things really quickly, and he did all of his homework in an That homework that I gave him was targeted to building those specific skills. And we'd say, okay, we've solved this problem of understanding linear systems. Let's move to the next level, which is quadratics. Let's work on building those key concepts that are tested frequently on the test. Let's practice it until we get it and then do some practice tests. See how you do, we were doing a practice test a week going into that particular test. And he tested quite well and made a drastic improvement in a short period of time. But it speaks to the methodology of, okay, yes, this does work if we diagnose what is the problem, work on developing ways to fill those knowledge gaps, and then work on speed and accuracy and practice testing along the way.
0: Wow. I mean, that is a huge improvement. So big congrats to you both. It really goes to show that the test prep really works. So that's incredible. And do you have any particular study habits or tips that you can share with our listeners when it comes to prepping for the digital SAT?
1: So particularly on the digital SAT, the sort of rise and grind mentality is not going to work because if you just grind on doing all the practice that there is to do and you're not intentional about it, you're going to run out of practice material and if you take all the SAT blue book tests and you take all their non adaptive tests, then you've just burned through what was your best way to determine like, how am I doing? So looking at ways to build those fundamental skills you know, areas that you need help with using the old SATs for the math, you can use the old SATs for the English, for the reading, you do need to pull in outside curriculums to get that same question style, to be able to practice. And I'm talking about this as if, you know, the reading and writing are separate, but like within the reading writing section, what I mean is taking the old SAT grammar section that will help you with the grammar questions or the writing fundamental questions. But then for the reading specific question, you would looking at a curriculum that's dedicated specifically to digital SAT reading. So I think being intentional with your practice and the skills and really focusing on mastering question types through intentional practice will be better than just taking a bunch of practice tests. I say this to students all the time. It's like, okay, if I lap swim the same amount of time every day that like Michael Phelps does, right? Like Michael Phelps, I think he's swimming a gross amount of time, but like maybe four hours a day, right? And he does that every day. If I did that four hours a day, but I didn't have a coach or I didn't have the technique and the training, I would never get to the same level. He does those four hours a day, but he's intentional with his practice. He's really focusing on like, okay, I'm going to spend four hours a day and I'm just going to work on the way that my hands enter the water. And that's the one skill that I'm going to practice for today. He's not just grinding through his practice. So that's the main difference is like you have to be intentional, especially when there's not that much practice material available that's high quality.
0: And are there any practice tests that you recommend that students use?
1: Using the linear non-adaptive version of the test can be helpful. And that's on College Board. And then save the Blue Book test. Don't use all those until you've done a solid amount of studying. And then you can take those tests because they're... I'm going to say 90, 95 plus percent accurate in terms of what does the test actually look like on test day? What is the scoring like? The blue book version of the test should really just be reserved for when a student feels like they're ready to understand what their score is going to look like. But even then know that on test day, a lot of students are coming back to us saying the test felt a little bit harder. So there's still that disparity that everyone's working to bridge the gap on.
0: And of course, I know your advice is to not go overboard with taking the practice test, but how many practice tests do you think students should take before the actual test?
1: Four practice tests, like four weeks before, can be really helpful. The reason why I lean towards four practice tests leading into the test is just because you develop the habit of taking the test. And so when you get to test day, it is much more familiar and just easier. And it gives you enough time to also experiment. You don't have to worry. You're like, Oh, I'm just going to try this thing I've never tried before. Oh, I saw my score go down. Maybe I don't use that strategy. Let me, you know, pivot and try a different strategy.
0: And kind of similar to that, how many times do you think students should take the SAT when trying to achieve their target score?
1: They want to have at least two sittings in the test for any college that's going to allow a super score in terms of submitting that if it's possible. And I also think at least twice because your first time you're going to be stressed out. That's the reality, right? Whether or not you prepared like for 12 weeks or two weeks or whatever, the experience of taking something for the first time is inevitably going to be stressful. And I think the second time around, you'll have learned something and you'll be able to go and apply what you've learned and hopefully do better on that second administration of the test. But really there is no limit. Your biggest obstacle here is, you know, how much time do you have to do this?
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jake. This was so fascinating even for me to learn about, and I'm not taking the SAT anytime soon. But before we end, do you have any parting advice for a student or parent helping their student along their SAT journey?
1: Get started on this early. Don't leave it to the last minute because then it becomes a stressful situation. If you can prepare ahead of time and know that you're going to have a measured approach where okay we have enough time we're going to adjust in that time to get to where we're going and also know that the performance will be an incremental improvement right the question of okay how do we get to the next 100 points how do we get to 100 points from there and then how do we just keep taking that next step forward i think being okay with that process trusting the process but in order to trust the process and do all that You have to start early so that way you're not worried and stressed that it's down to the last minute. Like, how do we get from here to here? And we only have these resources. So time is a huge resource in this. And I think starting early will be super helpful. And then I guess the other part of it is when to engage with a coach. Like I was saying earlier, with that example, Michael Phelps versus me, like if I just practice on my own and Michael Phelps is practicing, but he has coaches, right? And the difference is like the best performing athletes, best performing executives, all these people, they have coaches who see, okay, you can improve here. And they give them the pathway to the next level.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you would like to speak with one of our experts, you can set up a complimentary strategy call with one of our enrollment counselors by following the link in our episode description. And for more information and access to additional resources, you can register for our webinars, which is also linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, you can email me directly at noel.kim at ingeniousprep.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Admissions Office. And don't forget to follow the podcast so you're notified every time a new episode is available. That's all for now, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.